Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everybody who has the patience to listen to our season two of Tag Talks. I'm your host, Matt Weldon, a young graduate of the MDS program promoting young leaders in the food and produce industry. And I've been interviewing distinguished guests in the field from around all corners of the world on their career path. This week's an amazing episode with Christine Gold, the CEO founder of Thought for Food, which promotes young farmers in the agricultural industry. She's also had an incredible career with Syngenta, Crop Life, editorial magazines, as well as dabbling with the UN, as well as many other amazing experiences. I've also heard she likes to DJ electronic music, so I may need to ask her for some lessons after the show. But for now, welcome, Christine. Hey, it's so great to be here. Thanks. So I, I guess, like, thank you for coming on the show. I, I was reading a bit of an intro to you on your Thought for Food page, and it says you're a bit of a DJ, actually. What sort of stuff do you do? <laughs> yeah, I actually love electronic music. It um, permeates a lot of what we do at Thought for Food. Uh, it's great to dance to. I love techno and electro in particular, but we use a lot of like EDM, I would say in the thought for food organization, because it is so, you know, larger than life and a bit like goosebump inducing. And we're trying to bring energy and, you know, optimism into the food and agricultural space. So it's a good fit, but also electronic music is, um, a little bit like it's linked to what we stand for. It has a large like DIY hobbyist culture underpinning it. It's led by young people. And a lot of people have been like self-taught. And again, that's what we really believe in and thought for food, that the future of our food and agricultural systems will be built by young people who um, are doing things in new ways outside of the confines of big companies or big academic institutions. Um, So there's this like kind of also, I don't know, ethos connection with DJ culture and the innovation culture that we're trying to build for agriculture and food. So I I completely agree with you. I mean, that's definitely something a lot of people my age are doing at the moment, getting to, especially with lockdown everybody's trying to buy a pair of decks which was what I've done as well and I think I think for, for everyone who doesn't know so Thought for Food is a company that um, that Christine actually chairs and it's promoting young people in the agriculture industry so very similar to the MDS program that we're on and I guess we're going to sort of go into that a bit later in it but um, thank you for coming on I, I don't know if you're ready but should we start with your uh, with your career path yeah let's start <laughs> Perfect. So I guess like the safe place to start would probably be university, to be fair, because we're all graduates. Let's we start there. So from what I found out, you basically started with a bachelor's of art at the American University and you studied like an interdisciplinary study with communication, legal institutions, economics and government. And then you sort of went on and you did a master's at the Columbia University in New York, where you got a master's of public administration science and technology. What sort of stuff like did you draw out of this experience which led you onto the career path of food? Yeah, it's funny. If you look back at the choices I made around what to study and where to study, I was driven very much by places I wanted wanted to be and experiences I wanted to have. So I grew up on a farm in Illinois and um, actually was like, get me out of here. (laughs) I really wanted like some big city life. And um, when I was a kid, I was very much involved in um, student government and kind of like leadership roles in school. And so I had the chance, I was invited to go to Washington, D.C. one summer for this leadership, you know, experience. And I was like, this is where I meant to be. I, I loved being around policy and, you know, kind of being in a big city. Um, So American University was the only school I applied to when um, I finished high school uh, because I was like, I want to be in D.C. This is the program I want to do. And um, as you mentioned, it was an interdisciplinary program called CLEG, Communications, Law, Economics, and Government. And that really appealed to me too. And I think through 
through the course of the conversation and also what I mentioned about DJs, you'll see that I'm a person that is like super interested in mixing things up, remixing, if you will. And um, that kind of interdisciplinary approach was something that just fit really well with my personality and my aspirations. Um, So went to Washington, D.C., you know, I ended up like graduating early. Um, I, through the time there, I was like taking every opportunity I had to get internships and, you know, just experiences wherever I could. And, um, and, you know, studied abroad and just kind of like, yeah, said yes to everything because it was a time in my life that I was like, this is the chance to gain as much experience as possible. Um, and, but I did realize in that, that, um, yeah, I, DC actually wasn't where I wanted to be because I fell in love with innovation and, uh, you know, I loved fast moving, creative innovation, kind of startup culture. And DC, as you know, is like politics and things move. Really. Yeah. <laughs> so, I've, been, I've been to DC once when I was, I went to DC once when I was younger and I found it incredible. It just, I've, I've never been to yeah. the, the rest of America, but I've always been described as DC isn't like the, the same America that you probably see like when you're in like Illinois or whatever, yeah. because it's like, it's just like all these buildings, like massive buildings. And a all lot this. of buildings, a lot of big institutional looking, you know, power structures, etc. And, um, So then I was like, I want to be around more creative type people like innovators and tinkers and really see things move fast. So when I um, finished early, I actually uh, got into Columbia University in New York City and I chose to go there just mainly because I wanted to be in New York City. (laughs) um, But I I stuck with I I, uh, pivoted to kind of focus really in science and technology policy um, because I love science. I particularly love biology and plant breeding. Um, and so like the whole world of biotech was like kicking off around then. Um, but I wanted to be in New York city. So, um, I guess the point is my career has been shaped by picking places I wanted to be things I wanted to study. And I figured the dots would connect somehow, some way later, you know, you know, a lot of people, I think like write their life script and say, you know, these are the steps I'm going to take and that's how I'll be successful. I took a little bit of a different approach and it's paid off. Actually, it's allowed me to build a job that I love. I absolutely love that. I, you know, care about and that I'm good at. And I feel very fortunate for that. And I think a lot of it just has to do with that kind of like unconventional, um, you know, approach I took to education and uh yeah and making decisions it seems like um i think that's a really valuable way of actually looking at it because if you look at it as like not exactly just saying like i want to work at this company i want to do this role if you look at it more like i look i want to travel i want to i want to i want to learn more about this specific field you know i mean it seems like well obviously it's paid off hasn't it (laughs) because you're sort of in like a job you love you know so i guess that's like so, so that's sort of your university experience. And um, before we go on to the next bit, which I think will connect really nicely, is um, I just wanted to ask you, so I, I have these other weird questions sort of in between because I've been told to try and make, told to try and make <laughs> a bit more fun. But what was your childhood favorite meal? <laughs> My childhood favorite meal, let's see. I mean, I guess I would have to be pretty uh, simple and say pizza. I love pizza when I was a kid. And keep in mind, I was from the Midwest of Illinois. So we had pizza and we would put salad dressing on top of it. Don't ask me why, but that was like, I was obsessed with that when I was a kid. <laughs> Ranch dressing. If there's any American listeners, they'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. You guys call them, pie. then you call them pies as well. <laughs> yeah, pizza pies. Yeah. It's, 
super strange. Yeah. But like the combination, like put, we put ranch dressing on everything in America or ketchup, but ranch dressing on pizza. If you haven't tried it, give it a try. It's actually quite delicious, but <laughs> yeah, I, I, they have it a lot in Basel. I think I'm pretty sure I've seen it on the shelves and stuff. But oh yeah. Okay. You, 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 you must have been in heaven, uh, heaven when you went to New York then they're pretty, pretty infamous for their pizza. Oh yeah, I was absolutely. And I mean, that is, New York was really interesting for someone who is like in the food and ag space because yeah, it's not really like what you think of around agriculture, but, um, it was a food Mecca, but the apartment that I lived in, cause I couldn't afford much in grad school was like tiny. I didn't even have a kitchen and I, it was like this tiny little cell, if you will. <laughs> but the cool thing was the, um, you know, the city was my kitchen. So I was exploring so much like different types of, you know, food and cuisine from all over the world. Um, and yeah, that's really also where I was like introduced to a lot of, uh, exciting, yeah. Food experiences that opened my mind. I guess this like, so this will link really well, I think, because actually the one thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, I was looking at your, sort of the first job it seemed that you sort of had, if I correct me if I'm wrong, is you went into sort of an editorial department for a magazine and you sort of did, um, you, you fact-checked stories for publications. So you, you must have picked up quite a range of skills. So my first question is sort of what sort of skills did you pick up? But then like, how did this lead to the change of going into crop life and moving overseas to Belgium? Sure, yeah. Well, that wasn't my first job. That was like one of my like internships that I did um, when I was in, grad school, but it was, you know, a really nice uh, opportunity to work for this uh, global publication, um, which, you know, subsequently like journalism has suffered. I don't think it exists Newsweek anymore as a print publication, but what did that allow me to do was, you know, I was working in the heart of New York city. Um, I was able to call journalists all over the world, sometimes using like satellite phones because they were in these, you know, pretty crazy remote places. Um, and basically, yeah, would fact check stories and what, you know, it wasn't like, um, what do you call it? Like one of those jobs that like was super high flying, you know, I was like, yeah, just fact checking. But I think this is great advice for anyone in their career. And it's something I've always done every single internship I've ever had. I always just like gulp down experiences that came my way. So when I was talking to journalists, I would take the chance to, you know, really talk to them and do more than what the actual job asked for. Um, I would stay late, you know, and like do additional things that could help give me exposure and give me experience. And, um, and I think that's also like paid off really well in my career. So Newsweek was a super interesting experience. Another fun fact, they gave me a press pack when I was there, a press pass, sorry, when I was there. And oh man, I could use that press pass to get into all kinds of places and say I was press. So that was pretty interesting. Um, so, Were there any good ones that you managed to get into? Yeah, I used it a lot, like for restaurants or, you know, when I actually, I had it when I moved to um, Belgium to work for CropLife. And uh, that was also kind of fun because I could get into, you know, dance clubs and <laughs> I'm pressed. <laughs> um, so a little, yeah, little fun back there. But yeah, so what happened was um, I mentioned in my undergrad that I studied abroad, I actually had gone to Brussels uh, to study security and defense economics. What the heck? Does that have to do with food and agriculture? I don't know. It actually does have to do with it. But like I said, I really believe in having varied life experiences and things will make sense when you look back. Um, but I went to Brussels. I ended up meeting the director general of CropLife and we kept in touch 
through my grad school. And literally the day that I graduated from grad school, which was a huge recession in the world, I had a job because of that. And um, he basically, you know, invited me to come back to Brussels and work with him. And that's another like piece of advice I would give young people is like nurture relationships, keep them strong, you know, and don't be transactional in the relationships that you make with professionals because they can pay off in, you know, in ways years later as this did. And that was a super cool experience um, working for an industry association, which is a bit unconventional because I think some people think um, industry associations are where you go and you retire. But from my perspective, it was such a fantastic place to start my career in the industry because it gave me um, this really broad but also deep overview of the whole um, like agriculture, agribusiness sector. We were working with all of the big players, helping them develop positions around key global policies. I was traveling the world, attending UN meetings, um, you know, really a lifetime of experience in my first real job after grad school. And so that happened at an industry association. And that's something I've actually advocated for to some of the companies to say, send your talents to industry associations at the beginning of their career, because it's a, it's such a great place to get to know all of the issues affecting the sector. No, definitely. How did you like, so have you actually returned to America since you've sort of left then or have, uh, have you? No, I haven't. So I met my husband in Brussels and, um, he's an architect and, you know, he was interested to move to Switzerland. So, you know, for again, kind of like crazy reasons, I decided to look into jobs in Switzerland to keep the relationship alive and uh, ended up with a job at, at Syngenta. And which is, yeah. which is definitely going to bring, I think that's our next segment, actually, we're going to come into yeah. this thing, because this is actually how, uh, this is actually how I got in touch with you because of um, a, a colleague, Matt, who's in between, he's probably going to love that I shouted him out for that one, because hey, he does listen to the podcast. <laughs> But Matt Bray, you can have a shout out on this one. But uh, yeah, no, he recommended we get in touch. So I think before we get on to Syngenta, I think it'd be good to like do another one of these. Crazy questions. Crazy questions. They're not really that crazy to film. I need to rethink <laughs> the strategy for next season. Yeah. Maybe get some call-ins or something. But um, let's go with, what do you, is there anything you absolutely refuse to eat? Yes. Organ meat, like liver, stomach, intestine, heart. Bleh. I don't eat that. <laughs> I I have to fully agree with that. Like my grandparents love like like chicken liver and stuff like that, and it just I can't I can't I do I do admit like and this is, we do need to start using more stuff and like being a bit more sustainable. But like liver, just... I know it's a good point. Like the eating the whole animal. If you are going to eat meat, eating the whole animal does make sense. But it's it's not just the taste of it or the concept of it. It's like it's also like the smell of it. There's just like a lot of things that I can't um, get my head around. But that's that could be a challenge for chefs and innovators of the world is like how to make that tasty and not stinky <laughs> for people to eat. Uh, and even foie gras, I, I'm, we're working um, with a lot of people in the cellular ag space. And there is a company in France that's making um, animal, free, animal free foie gras. 
Uh, and that I think is interesting. I would give that a try. I, I, it's it's an interesting one because I love uh, you, you, if you look in the like in the eastern part of the world, like they eat so many different things that we would just never touch in the west. Like they, they, they I've, I've seen people. I think Brent was saying that he's eating like grasshoppers and insects before, and they'll happily oh, yeah. do that. And I think we had a brief talk about insect farming because something that they're trying to promote now is using insects to actually promote like flower flower production. But it's just something we don't touch in the west, and like I think it's something that we really need to try and we need to change a message i think somewhere because you know i I guarantee if somebody had insect flour and they didn't know it was insect flour they probably wouldn't be able to tell that much they wouldn't super high in protein you know more sustainable i think it's changing with our you know thought for food community there's definitely an openness to eating insects so um yeah but like you said it's about creating new marketing stories and experiences around these types of new foods. No, definitely. Okay, so I want to pop on to the next bit because I have been told that, I, well, I want to focus a bit on thought for food actually a bit later in the podcast, but for now, for now we're about midway here. I think we're starting to get to the middle, so we about halfway. So um, Syngenta, this is where I actually got my connection to actually get in touch with you. And you've worked at Syngenta for nine years. You said you moved over to Switzerland, where I'm based at the moment actually as well. But uh, what... So I, I read that you basically were involved in this thing called the next gen innovation function, which connected the company to like startups and collaboration investment. Like what sort of stuff did you, what, or if you want to summarize so what you sort of did with Syngenta for your time here. Yeah. Um, so I started at Syngenta working in like policy, um, which of course fits with a lot of the stuff I was doing in my education and my job at CropLife. Um, and again, uh, because of my interest in innovation kind of like steered my job at Syngenta towards this next gen, gen innovation function, which I established. I actually created the concept for this role and pitched it and um, became the you know founder of it internally um, and ended up also being recognized um, externally for being um, an entrepreneur, uh, which is kind of like using entrepreneurial methods inside big companies to create change. And so the idea was um, at the time, you know, there was like this big kind of startup scene and investment scene growing in, you know, the food and agricultural domain. And I had already founded Thought for Food, um, you know, which was like kind of something I was doing more like on the side and, you know, in, in some ways integrating it into my role at Syngenta. But uh, basically, there was just even more opportunities for the company to benefit from connecting with um, startups at all different levels and, you know, innovators from around the world for three reasons. One would be, you know, business development opportunities. One would be um, ventures, investments. And the third area would be around kind of like partnerships for brand and reputation and sustainability. And so I had this really cool job that I created, which was scouring the planet for awesome people and startups and connecting them to Syngenta for various value propositions. And, um, it was really fantastic. I guess would this be the point in your career where you're starting to like get a bit of a spark about what you sort of maybe want to continue into? So this is where. Uh-oh. Yeah, for sure. I got bit by the bug of like, I want to be around creative people, innovators, you know, startups. And, you you know, once you really find your like sweet spot, exactly, it's like there's no turning back. And the cool thing was like, I feel they say when you find your purpose in life, that it feels like you've been training for it your whole life. And that's definitely that feeling that I had. Suddenly, like every life experience, every decision I made was like, oh, like this is like 
created this perfect, you know, preparation for what I'm doing now. And um, yeah, and so here we are. It's amazing, <laughs> to be honest, you sort of like, uh, my next question was being, how did this influence where you are now in your career? But I think you've sort of partly answered that as well, yeah. So like, did you like overall just enjoy the Syngenta experience like that you had? I did. I, you know, it was really interesting because I think like a lot of big agriculture gets um, a bad rap in the world, right? Especially the worlds I was living in, which were like policy and um, innovation worlds. Like the policy world, you know, was kind of um, challenged by Syngenta's like nature of kind of domination of the market, right? And like how uh, it could have negative impacts on the environment and smallholders. The innovation world had similar concerns, but mainly around like the control over intellectual property, right? That Syngenta had and how they, as a behemoth organization, were kind of like making it hard for startups to, um, to thrive. So, uh, but what was interesting was while I was at Syngenta, I was able to bring some of those messages and concerns internally and also help to create change within the company. That was a win-win proposition because, you know, companies need to um, be able to have social license to operate. So that's like one value proposition is like creating the enabling environment. So the company is not, you know, constantly faced with a barrage of issues externally. But the second reason is also like there's real value to be created by doing things differently and thinking differently and connecting, you know, with um, different types of stakeholders. So we like one of the coolest projects I led while I was at Syngenta was setting up this um, open IP platform that was like dubbed the iTunes of plant breeding, but where we really shaped not only a new business model for our company, but it ended up being replicated across the whole vegetables industry and really facilitated licensing for patented traits. That's a whole other conversation. But long story short, these types of like game-changing ways of doing business happened in a large part because of stuff that I was doing and people around me were doing to like bring in um, external insights into the company and give us a leading edge in uh, the market because we were thinking not just of how to react, but how to be proactive and shape the future, which is, um, I always think it's a place to be. Yeah. I feel like Syngenta is a very nurturing environment for this and promoting creativity. I would even say my grad scheme as well. I mean, like this podcast was something that never had been done before, but like, I think it's very valuable for people to like, to like listen to and figure out what people have done with their careers. And I guess like, um, I guess by the end of the Syngenta segment, we're near, we're sort of near the end of like, we're, we're getting to the, we're getting to the, the, the point you're at in your career right now. Uh, and I guess just in between, we have to say, what is the most bizarre piece of food you've ever eaten? The most bizarre piece of food I've ever eaten. I mean, I still think durian is weird, but it's not that bizarre in, you know, Southeast Asia, but <laughs> corpse smelling, you know, <laughs> fruits. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is very odd to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, that's again, like I said, it's not odd to a large part of the world's population. So there you go. It's just one of those. Yeah. I, I think I have weird, I must have like hyper um, taste buds or something. I also don't like papaya. It's the consistency 
But so basically just avoid tropical fruits. <laughs> I, I love mango. Um, I recently discovered the custard apple. There's some great tropical fruits, but I don't know what it is about durian and papaya, but those two are just like, nope, not into it. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess like I've got, I've got two more sections before yes. I'm going to ask you actually some departing questions. One of the ones I had is I've noticed you're on the advisory committee for the UN Food System Summit. And I just wanted you to like, I think this is such an amazing achievement. So what sort of things does this like current role include? Yeah, it's also, I'm really excited and proud of this achievement. It's, um, you know, the UN Food System Summit is a first of its kind uh, UN summit that is looking at the topic of food through the systems lens and actually, you know, thinking about food as something that's inextricably linked to topics like climate change, economic development, nutrition, you know, women's empowerment, biodiversity, and so much more. So um, typically, you know, food in the UN system has been handled as something like around hunger or malnutrition, but bringing in this like holistic, comprehensive view of food systems is, you know, it's a watershed moment. And um, it links to what I mentioned at the beginning about my um, kind of like love of multidisciplinarity and interdisciplinarity. And so this is kind of like a great fit for what I'm naturally gravitating towards. Um, so in this role, you know, I have the chance to work with uh, civil society organizations, um, NGOs, policy leaders from all over the world. We're shaping, um, you know, uh, some of the, you know, thinking around um, solutions and actually like doing crowdsourcing for solutions because the vision of um, Dr. Agnes Kalibata, who is the special envoy for the summit, is that this should be a people summit. They're taking a lot of, I mean, this is you know, a summit that's coming to life, like during COVID times. And so we're leaning into the power of like digital connectivity to bring in more people and have like a more inclusive summit than has, you know, really happened before at the UN level. So that's really, really exciting. And then my particular like vantage point too, that I think adds value to the conversation is um, the perspective of young people and, you know, purpose-driven, entrepreneurially minded young people is kind of like what Thought for Food is standing for. Um, and so I'm able to bring that into the conversations, which I think is helpful. How did, how did you sort of get into this UN food system summit? And, um, could you tell me about any sort of role models in your life that have got you and set you on your path to where you got to right now? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it's like connections, connections, connections. There's an expression I heard once called like your network is your net worth. And you have to think of net worth as more than just like financial. It's like, you know, but it is financial because at the end of the day, um, all of the career success that I've had has been through building and nurturing a network, right? And not being transactional about my relationships with people. And that is the number one piece of advice I give young people. It's quite funny because my book says something similar. It says that networking only hurts the people without a network. But too often I see people being like, I'm entering this conversation because I want something out of it. And if you can't give me something, you know, then I'm not going to have the conversation. It's like just nurture your relationships because they will pay off. And that's a hundred percent what happened here. You know, some relationships that I had very kind of like, you know, um, light touch relationships from a few years ago, just started to build, build, build. And then, you know, attended a couple of meetings. And then I, I really believe it was through that, that this opportunity with the UN happened. Um, 
And so, and I think also, of course, like having thought for food, uh, as an organization that I, uh, lead, you know, because it does have this like broad and diverse network of, you know, young entrepreneurs around the world was also like a big asset to bring it to the conversation. Um, and so role models in my life, like, I mean, there's so many, but I would definitely have to say, you know, I think I have always been really inspired, um, at an intellectual level by my own dad, who I think like really really fostered in me this, um, interest in creativity, idealism and hard work, which I've pulled together in my you know ambitions and what I've done in life. And then also this boss that I had, um, in my first job that you mentioned at crop life, like my first job post grad school, um, he was the guy, you know, I told you that brought me back to that role after meeting him. And, um, just really believed in me. And if you have people like that in your life, right. And then they carve out experiences for you. It's really game changing. Um, so yeah, I am very thankful to the stuff that he did for me early in my career. So always good to have somebody who believes in you because that really drives you to be the best one person you can be, I guess, with your career and everything like that. But I'll tell you who sometimes when I'm getting into my, like, who do I want to be? You know, I have, I sometimes have Lady Gaga in mind. (laughs) (laughs) but I'm just like, you know, I kind of, uh, I vibe with her like leadership style and movement building kind of approach. So I think there's some lessons, leadership lessons we can look to of how she's done what she's done. Um, so, you know, breaking boundaries and conventions are things I I really like love and hope to do someday. Definitely. (laughs) Well, I think, I I think, I think Lady Gaga, yeah, definitely. I can, I can respect that very powerful woman in the industry. (laughs) um, But um, I think, I think like this is going to be a good part actually, because I think now, now we've sort of got all up to this point, I think this is where we can start talking about thought for food, but I guess there's only one way of leading into that. And that's asking about what your favorite vegetable of the year is. (laughs) (laughs) Can I say a fruit? Because I've been thinking about this. So, um, I have to say it's contradictory, but I will let you have it. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Because I don't know if you've seen the pink glow pineapple that has been released by Del Monte, but I'm into this. So it's a genetically engineered pink pineapple that I feel like, really is cool. It is showing what's possible. It's, you know, using genetic engineering, which I love as like a tool that is increasingly becoming like democratized and allows us to do some really interesting things, um, with plant breeding and the, you know, making foods more nutritious and delicious. And it's freaking pink. It's a pink pineapple. Like, is there anything like more millennial than that? Um, so (laughs) I'm going to go. Is is there any advantage to a pink pineapple? (laughs) Um, Yes. I think that it has like a, like a higher level of what, I don't know if it's lycopene or something, but I think that it's showing what's possible. It's breaking boundaries. The only thing that I would do differently is make it open source. If they had an open source pink glow pineapple, that would be by far my favorite fruit of all time. And People eat pineapple as like vegetables, you know, in parts of the world. So I feel like I, I had your vegetable question covered. <laughs> oh, so so far, I think we've got two broccoli, we've got aubergine, and I think we've got a pink pineapple. So this series is going well. So you have to add that you need it because, yeah, like, of course, broccoli and spinach and aubergine, they're great. But like a pink glow pineapple is next level. And in, um, 
it's the Lady Gaga of the plant kingdom. And if you, um, I was had a conversation with someone from Trinidad and I don't know if you've heard of this meal called chow, but it's basically, they take pineapple and they put like garlic and salt and cilantro on it. It's so good. I've made it. And so that's kind of like a vegetable. I think I found the new, I think I found the new hook for this episode. It's going to be pink pineapples, They're the Lady Gaga of the food industry. But I think I'll take that as one. But <laughs> that could be the name of my book. I love it. Yes. <laughs> well, well, you mentioned your book, so I think that might be a good place to uh, get in there. Thought for food. You're the founder and the CEO. I guess the key part of this company is it promotes young professionals to the industry, and it has this core philosophy that I think is shared with my grad scheme. Because I think I explained it to you before. And I, get it. and I think it says also that you involves tackling agriculture in creative ways and creativity is something you've definitely emphasized throughout this podcast about being out there and creative. So do you think you could like talk a bit more about the core beliefs of Thoughts for Food? Absolutely. So, so Thought for Food is this like pioneer in enabling next generation innovation in food and agriculture. We um, help to uh, catalyze the creation of new like entrepreneurial um, concepts. And then we also accelerate those concepts so that they can become real businesses that can gain real investment. And we have quite a track record there. But I think like you said, there's some like core beliefs that underpin what we do, which link back to everything we've talked about in the story. We believe that, you know, anyone anywhere can actually be an innovator in this space. And so we use a lot of like, um, yeah, bootstrappy hacker like approaches, right. To like show the power of innovation is available and should be led from the ground up. So we believe strongly in like locally relevant solutions through global collaboration. We also have a strong, you know, uh, belief around collaboration, um, that collaboration can be your competitive advantage. And so we really try to get, you know, entrepreneurs to be working together, to be sharing know-how, knowledge, best practice, even failures, so that we can all accelerate our efforts um, and create more impact together. Um, We believe that, you know, uh, food and agriculture is like a massive responsibility for our generation, but it's an even bigger opportunity. And it's, you know, our time to unleash that. And I think fundamentally today's young people, like oftentimes people are like, we need youth involved. And it has this feeling like we're checking a box because it's a nice thing to do. But actually, like if you change the narrative and really look at this, youth like are a strategic asset that we have. Today's young people are the largest demographic alive, the most diverse, the most well-educated, the most socially conscious, tech-savvy, you know, globally connected generations of all time. And that's like, if you look at agriculture, it's the least digitized industry sector. It's like, you know, needs more collaboration. It needs more people focused on impact and not just like making money and holding, you know, everything away from people who can benefit from it. So we have this generation literally like factory wired to deliver this to the world. So why not like enable them to do this and excite them about the possibilities in this sector? So that's what we do. And it's so much fun. This is such a good change though, because the problem is like, I find a lot of jobs, I've heard this in a lot of places of somebody saying, we want to hire somebody, we want someone young, but we want like 20 years experience. You know what I mean? There's this sort of like, there's this joke that always goes on about it. So I think it's really good that you're trying to promote this, like promote the young people in the industry. Not just promote it. Like it's like, 
Yeah. It's like learn from these people, like the, the stuff that I see, and this is actually what's in my book. I've just sat back and watched. I am fascinated how, you know, the people in the thought for food community can like build online communities, you know, build apps in a day, like the collaborate in the most effective ways I've ever seen. And I'm like, this is really cool. We have a lot to learn. Now I'm not saying young people have all the answers, right? There's definitely like intergenerational or, and, uh, you know, cross-generational, um, you know, collaboration that needs to happen. But like what we should do is like be much more empowering to today's young people and sit back and let them lead in a lot of situations. Cause like, there are some really cool things that they're doing. And that's where linking back to the beginning of our conversation, that's where DJ culture is like so inspiring to what we stand for, because you have seen literally 16 year olds upend the music industry by pursuing hobbies, right? That they like taught themselves online doing things like they don't even like necessarily have music backgrounds or have played an instrument, but they are like selling out festivals with hundreds and thousands of people. Um, and this is the kind of thing I'm like, you know, food and ag, the game is going to be changed by people we're not paying attention to right now. And, you know, that's what thought for food is trying to like bring more into, um, yeah, into the mainstream. Definitely. Uh, I mean, I guess like, I think we're coming slightly near to the end of this podcast, but I was wondering if you just, what you mentioned your book actually. So I just wanted to see if you wanted to just talk about that and what sort of stuff you're covering in that. Oh, thanks for giving me the chance to plug that shamelessly. <laughs> yeah. So the book has been a labor of love. literally just a book that is, it's called the Changemaker's guide to feeding the planet. It's a practical how to guide for anyone who wants to like be involved in creating change in the world. It's not going to give you, here's the one answer to fix all of the problems we face. There's a lot of books out there that have that. Um, but what it is, is like a practical toolkit of like how you can build solutions, find your community, work with partners, think in new ways, etc. And so, um, yeah. And it's literally just a collection of stories and, and best practices I've gathered by watching people around the world do this. So I know it works. I, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to advertise it, but I could technically plug it in. I mean, I, know. I, don't, I don't really know. I don't really know what this is, to be honest. So maybe, you know, maybe just send me the name and I can tell t- t- the book. It sounds very interesting. And it sounds like it's definitely... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not even available yet, so don't worry. It's, uh, <laughs> Sounds very yeah. positive, though. So, um, Thought Food sounds like an amazing concept. I really would recommend anybody just going to their website and reading more into it. And I hopefully maybe I could get you back at one point to talk a bit more about Thought for Food. But I think we wanted to address mostly, see how you got to this point. And if anything, this is probably going to tie into Thought for Food. But we've got a couple of departing questions for this podcast because it's it's gone. I, I wish we had more time, actually. Me too. What are your future <laughs> ambitions? My future ambitions. Oh my gosh, that's such a life question. I think I, such a cliche question as yeah. well, but it's a good question. I think I, mean, I. It's gonna sound so trite, but it's true. My life ambitions are to be able, able to continue to do what I love, what I feel good at, and what I can like get paid for. Right, so that um, yeah, I can just like I, I love where I am right now. I'd love to continue doing that to inspire and motivate people around the world to be part of um, building better futures for everyone. I think it's important to move past, you know, polarized discussions and, you know, self-interest into a world that can be more collaborative and and conscious of um, how we can do better things together. So that's kind of what I want to continue doing. And I don't yet have the destination, but I think through the course of this conversation, you've heard that I like to, 
take experiences and they'll make sense with the pieces of the puzzle together. So that's what I'll continue to do. Definitely. And I guess like the last question, the finale question before we say goodbye would be if you could have done one thing differently in your career, what would it be? Or or are you one of those people who's no regrets? (laughs) Oh, no, I that's that's a profound question. What would I have done differently? Mm. there's different arguments in the case some people say everything that you do defines who you are and what you've done other people think maybe there actually could have been one thing that I could have done that could have changed it but well (laughs) that's a good question I mean the only thing I can say is that like you know I um I'd probably take that as a positive though to be honest if you really can't think of something I mean you've had such an amazing career so far as well (laughs) so you know I think that I, the only thing I can say is that like I took out a lot of student loans um, so I could you know do my education, which in America is is expensive. I, I got scholarships, um, which was fantastic, but you know I yeah I just needed to take out student loans, and I think um, having that like did impact decisions I made around jobs, right? Because I needed to be able to pay those back. Um, so I don't know if I would change it, but it's just definitely been like a factor in my life. But if anyone who's listening, you know, has student loans, I think that it's like one of those things you can either let stop you or you can just like say, okay, this is like a reality of my life. I'm not going to, you know, get rich super fast. And that's never been a goal of mine. I think that's come across, but it's just one of those things that I didn't, I didn't let it stop me, um, you know, or make decisions for me per se. It just was like factored in sometimes in the back of my head. I don't know if that makes sense, but you can edit that out. <laughs> no, I think, that, I think that makes perfect sense. And I think that's like, a, I think it's a very relatable thing to a lot of the people probably listening because a lot of us are graduates just come out of university with student loans. So I think it's a very relatable topic. And I guess, I guess on that note, I'd just like to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've really enjoyed this one. And I think if I wish we had more time because I think we could have spent so much more time looking at all the even other things that you've yeah. done. But It's been so nice to chat with you. Thank you so much. I'll be, uh, I'll be really Releasing this on Spotify hopefully soon, but I'll uh, let you, uh, and I'll keep you in touch with that. But I hope we can keep in touch in the future. So for sure, yeah, that sounds great. I hope you got some uh, stuff out of here that you can use, and definitely get in touch if you need anything else. Perfect. Okay, thank you. Thank you.